So we're going to be in Psalm 139. Can everyone go to verse 7? And I've entitled my teaching tonight, it's going to be, we're going to take a break in 1 Samuel, that is where Pastor Gary is right now, and we're going to just highlight and look over um, the Holy Spirit as um, the third person in the Trinity. So we're going to look at God, the Holy Spirit for tonight, and have like kind of an overview of who He is as a person and in His ministry. So verse 7 of Psalm 139, David would write this, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my, be- my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Amazing verse that, that David would write and pen. I remember singing that song in youth group when I was in high school. Um, I don't remember who sang it, but um, a lot of renditions I was looking on Spotify on different people that have sung this psalm. But there's one, one song in particular that comes to my mind, and I'm not going to sing it, but it was a precious song. I'm not sure if it was Amy Grant. I don't remember, to be honest. I'm going to have to look it up. But it's such, whenever I read that psalm, and, and psalms are songs. So when you read them and songs that have been made out of the psalms, you're always thinking of that, that tune, that, that melody. And, and I love this, this passage that we're going to be in on, on the Spirit of the Lord. And that we cannot run from God's Spirit. Um, he is going to constantly pursue you and I because He wants a relationship with us. So would you bow your heads and pray? Let's pray and then we're going to dive in what, what the Lord has for us tonight. Father God, we thank You for tonight and we ask that Your Holy Spirit would be present. God, we thank You for the worship, for the time of prayer that we can come clean and Lord, ask for, for forgiveness or ask for help. Um, Lord, we, we thank you that we can come freely and, and worship you by reading your word. Um, Lord, I think we take this for granted a lot that not a lot of countries have this freedom to come together and just study the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, we want to take note of what you have for us tonight. And we don't want to just make it head knowledge. We want it to be applied to our lives. We want to take this into our heart. God, minister to us. Use us, challenge us, convict us, and encourage us. And we ask all these things in your precious Son's name. Amen. When we read Psalm 139, especially in verse 7, when David asks the question, Where can I go from God's Spirit? He answers the question, really. The answer is no, nowhere. You, you cannot flee from God's Spirit and His presence. You can't escape him at all. And the same goes in the scripture. You will find the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. He is everywhere in the entire book um, of God's Word. Every book of the Bible will mention the Holy Spirit. You can't escape it. And I love what David says when he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens or to the depths of the earth, you're there. And then he he just summarizes in this amazing poem, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God will guide us and guard us. He will protect us. There is nowhere that you and I can run. And whether you're a believer tonight or not, just know that God's Spirit is here. And He is going to prod and and pursue you because He wants a relationship with you. And if you do know Him, 
He's going to convict you of sin and encourage you. Encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. It's going to kind of be an overview session tonight of looking from Genesis to Revelation and what the Holy Scriptures have for us and how we are to apply the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, into our walk with the Lord. So the first appearance that we're going to see in the entire Bible from the Old Testament is none other than Genesis chapter 1. It's the second verse of the entire Bible, Genesis 1 verse 2. Can you guys turn with me? Can everyone turn to Genesis 1-2? If you don't know where Genesis 1-2 is, I, I don't know what to say. Easy. Now, some translations will say it differently. Mine says here in Genesis 1-2, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Hebrew word is abuso. It means the abyss. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see it right here in the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth. That the Holy Spirit Himself is hovering over the waters. You have this this earth, this globe, this sphere that is, has no landmass yet. It's just a body of water. But it says that there's darkness and it's empty, it's void, there's no life in it yet. But the Spirit of God is moving and He's hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was, in fact, participating in the creation of the earth, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, the whole Trinity, we know that Jesus was involved. When you read Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it's a very interesting verse. It talks about how Jesus, through Him, the earth and the heavens were made. It was by Him, for Him, and through Jesus. So the whole power of, the whole, the complex of the Trinity is very fascinating when you study it, but you really can't study it because then your head explodes because it's just like, what is going on with the Trinity? But you have the Holy Spirit participating in the creation of the earth, hovering over the waters. The next time you, don't, you see the Spirit mentioned is actually in Genesis chapter 6. You see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is participating in mankind. If you jump to just chapter 6, Genesis 6, verse 3, you, you don't hear a read of the Spirit from Genesis 1-2 until you get to chapter 6. And it's a very interesting and weird chapter, but Genesis chapter 6 tells us in verse 3, Then the Lord said, My Spirit, capital S, will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Now again, a very interesting passage and, and what is going on in this, because chapter 7 you get into the flood that would judge the earth. So the background of this section is the earth has become corrupt because of angelic beings coming to earth and having these relations with women. You read about it in First and Second Peter and in Jude as well as commentary. And over a period of time, these, these Nephilim or these giants are roaming the earth, and the earth is becoming corrupt and out of control with violence and evil and wickedness. And it says later in, verse, in chapter 6 and 7 that everything that man would think of was only evil all the time. They got to a point where God had to say enough is enough. Now, in that verse, in, chapter, in verse 3, some translations will actually use the word strive or contend or abide. When it says, my spirit will not contend with, some translations might say strive or abide with or remain. 
It's the same Hebrew word. It just basically means that the, Holy, the, the, the Lord was warning that His Spirit would not be with or contend or abide with man forever, but that there would be a delay of 120 years before the judgment of the flood would occur. Now, some scholars differ that this means that man's lifetime experience would be 120 years, that man would not live past 120 years, and I, I think that translation's a little... Um, doesn't really hold water too much. I think that this was a ticking time um, clock of 120 years until the flood would occur, which tells us, because Second Peter would tell us this, that God is patient and he doesn't want anyone to perish. There is a limit with God's patience. God is very patient with us. Amen? And I, don't th- I think we take that for granted a lot as well, but God is very patient with, uh, patient with us. He's very patient with America. He is waiting. He wants people to come to repentance, but his patience has a limit. We know that in 2 Peter chapter 2 that Noah warned the coming righteous judgment of the flood. So people had a chance. But my point is, we see that the Holy Spirit is even active in mankind. And the Lord is saying, look, my spirit's not going to contend or strive with man forever. His days are going to be numbered. There's 120 years until this judgment comes. And then after Genesis 6, when you see Genesis 1-2, and then you see Genesis 6-3 of the Spirit of God mentioned, you hear about then the Spirit of God falling upon certain characters for the rest of the Old Testament. So I outlined just the major characters that are going to be um, throughout the Old Testament of where the Holy Spirit would fall upon these people for a certain task. Now before we get into these uh, characters and jump into the New Testament, I just want to make it clear that the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that's found in the Old and New Testament. Same Spirit. But He had different functions or roles in both covenants, both Testaments. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given from the Lord to a specific person for a specific task. That that the Spirit would fall upon that person for, for guidance, for strength, for wisdom, It was not until the New Testament, until Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit is then given to all believers who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus would mention that a little bit in the Gospels as well. We'll get into that later. But I just want to make it clear that the Holy Spirit is found numerous times in the Old Testament, especially with the prophets. But again, His ministry was different. It's not the same as it is now, but it's the same Spirit the Holy Spirit would fall upon people, but not indwell. That would not happen until the New Testament. Would fall upon people for a specific task or purpose. And here are the characters as follow that I've put on the screen. And you don't have to turn to these passages. I've already given them to you. If you're taking notes, you can look. But you've got characters that are mentioned. And the first one, kind of an unknown, um, interesting man. You probably were not thinking that this would be up here. But his name is Bezalel, or you just call him Bez if you want for short. But he's found in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. And his passage, his uh, characteristic is very interesting. In Exodus 31, sorry, verse 3, he is given the task, along with someone else, to build the Ark of the Covenant. When you go to Exodus 31, you'll see that God gives the Holy Spirit to fall upon this individual to craft and build the Ark of the Covenant and the Tent of Meeting that Moses would, would abide in, would go into. Now, all of, that, all of those instructions were given previously in Exodus to Moses himself 
as instructions on how to build it and how it's supposed to look. But Moses did not build the Ark of the Covenant, if you didn't know that. This individual did. Bezalel built and architect the Ark of the Covenant. And it says in Exodus 31.3 that the Lord empowered him with unique craftsmanship to build the Ark of the Covenant. I know some people thought Harrison Ford built it, but he did not. It was this individual, Bez or Bays or however you want to say his name. But I thought that was very interesting. You know, I had to, when I re- reread that, I'm always assuming that, you know, Moses built it. He was only given the instructions to build it or to how to build it or what it's supposed to look like. But God empowered this individual for a specific task and purpose to build the Ark of the Covenant. Next, we also see Moses in Numbers chapter 11. Moses, for sure, had the Holy Spirit upon him. What a, what a character that we can learn from on how flawed he was, but yet how much pressure did Moses have to have? And how much grace did he need to lead millions of Hebrews out from slavery into a promised land that they had never seen before? And it says when Moses was given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit also fell on these 70 elders as well in the tent of meeting, you can read it in Numbers chapter 11, that Moses had to have been empowered by the Holy Spirit for that specific task and purpose of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And again, we, we, we laugh, and, and we've said this before, that these Hebrews were so stubborn that God nor Moses wanted to claim them as their people. And they get in an argument, and Moses says... I, Lord, these people that you've given me, God says, Lord, uh, Moses, let me just stop you right there. They're not mine. They're yours. And here's how you're going to lead them. Moses says, God, actually, they're your people. I didn't want to do this. You asked me to do it. I'm doing it. No, Moses, they're not my people. Again, please, I do not want them. No one wants them. Um, look how much patience God had, though. But Moses, no, in, 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 you know, no doubt, filled with the Holy Spirit for that specific purpose. Then Joshua. We see in Numbers chapter 27, Joshua was, giving, was given the Holy Spirit to fall upon him for a specific mission, specific task to lead the Hebrews finally into the promised land and to fight the giants that would be in there. We also see Gideon, when you flash, uh, flash forward to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, Gideon, it literally says that the Holy Spirit clothed him. I love the NLT. It says that the Holy Spirit clothed Gideon with power fell upon Gideon for a specific purpose. Now, Gideon was an interesting dude as well. He was, very, he was almost like a coward, very timid, and then later in life, he committed some sin as well. So the, but the Holy Spirit still used him. Holy Spirit will still use in me, even though we're flawed people. Right? Everyone thinks like the Holy Spirit will, will use perfect people. No, we're, none of us are perfect. We're all going to fall. We're all going to sin. But God will still use us if we're willing and trust in Him. He will use us for a specific purpose. After Gideon, you see Jephthah. We had just gone over all the judges before on Wednesday nights. Pastor Gary went through them, and Jephthah is an interesting character as well, but it says the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. And then Samson, a very interesting character. He, he, Samson is a very um, tricky one to understand because Samson, we know, was, was very gifted with super strength. And the Holy Spirit literally fell upon him in a supernatural way, but we know that he fell into sin multiple times. He repented, I believe, at the end, because we read about Samson's name in the Hebrews Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I would tend to think if Samson's name is mentioned in there, that my guesstimate would be that Samson is, in fact, in heaven. But I'm just, I'm just guessing. 
But you see, the Holy Spirit fell upon him for a specific purpose and task. And boy, did he do a good job and he messed up a lot. When you read that, that, that man, he was very um, conflicted, very tricky character. Also, when you see in the Old Testament, we keep going, you see the prophets as a whole in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30. It's a, very great, it's a great verse where it actually says, as a whole, the Spirit of God was given to the prophets to proclaim judgment and conviction on the nation of Israel or Judah, and that the people were stubborn and didn't want to listen to the prophets. The people hated the prophets because the prophets gave truth. The prophets said, hey, this is happening. You've strayed away from the Lord. Get back to him. If you don't, judgment's coming. I mean, they wanted to kill the prophets. Hardly anyone listened to the prophets. My heart goes out to the prophets. They just had a hard life. But they spoke truth. See, nothing's changed, though. Whenever you speak truth in the public arena, people hate you. Didn't that what Jesus said? They really won't hate you. They're going to hate me because you love me and you speak truth. They're going to hate Jesus, really. But the prophets spoke truth. They had the Holy Spirit empower them. We see the King Saul, King Saul in 1 Samuel. He's a tricky character as well. He has not mentioned Hebrews Hall of Faith, so we'll see. I don't know. But Saul started off well, finished poorly. But it says, in fact, that the Holy Spirit fell upon Saul to be king over Israel. The most famous one is David. David, no doubt, when he's anointed by Samuel the prophet, you're going to get into that later in 1 Samuel, says the Holy Spirit fell upon him in power. Now, David is one of my favorite characters into studying all the Bible. Just a man after God's own heart, but yet still messed up, still flawed. That tells me, okay, I, I mess up too. David wasn't perfect, yet he had a soft and tender heart toward the Lord. And it's funny, when Jesse lines up all his boys to present to Samuel, he, he forgets David, I guess. You're going to read about that soon in 1 Samuel. He forgets David. I don't think he really forgot David. But he doesn't bring him out. Samuel's like, ah, the Lord is telling me that none of these are the chosen anointed king. You, you have, are, are, am I sure at the right address? Is there somebody else? Now, Samuel, had, he had never met David. Jesse's like, oh, yeah, totally forgot. Yeah, there's another kid in the shepherd field. Yeah, he's a shepherd. He's one of my sons, but I totally forgot about him. Um, sorry about that. He's the baby in the family. Yeah, you know, Abinadab, why don't you go grab, grab David? Brings him out. The Bible's very clear. It says David was a very young and handsome-looking man. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I don't know why Jesse forgets about a handsome-looking guy in his family. But he says, yeah, here he is. And Samuel says he's the one. And David wrote so many psalms. One of the psalms that we just read at the beginning, Psalm 139, was written by David. You know, David had such a heart for the Lord. Sometimes his flesh would get in the way. Yes, he did fall. There was consequences for his sin. But God forgave his sin because David had a repentive heart as well. Holy Spirit used David in a mighty way. And last but not least, you probably see the famous name. It's Jesus. You say, like, I thought he came in the New Testament. Yes, but he's prophesied all over the Old Testament, okay? And in Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 42, the prophet Isaiah would prophesy about the Messiah, Jesus, that would come on the world scene and that the Spirit would fall upon Jesus. And Jesus would actually read Isaiah 11 and 42, and he would fulfill that scripture before the Pharisees and before the people, saying that this scripture from the prophet Isaiah has been fulfilled in front of your very eyes. You know, they wanted to stone him because he said that. He claimed to be Messiah. But see, Jesus was even prophesied. The Holy Spirit would fall upon Jesus in a powerful way. 
Now, this same Holy Spirit, as we're going to jump into the New Testament, it's the same Holy Spirit. But now he's going to be given a different task, a different role for the New Testament. And we're going to see three different categories as well in the New Testament. We're going to see the Holy Spirit appearing in the Gospels. We're going to see him appearing in the church. And then we're going to see him also appear in the epistles and the end times. Now, Jesus would describe the Holy Spirit, if you want to write this verse down, John 14, 26. Jesus would tell his disciples before he went to the cross, the advocate would come. Here's what he says. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, the Greek word for advocate, or maybe some translations say helper, the Greek word is parakletos. And it means comforter, encourager, counselor, or someone who comes alongside. That's the Holy Spirit. Someone who comes alongside, who comforts, who encourages, who is there for us when we need him. And Jesus actually said later in in John 14 and 16, he would say, now the advocate, the Holy Spirit, cannot come until I go back to the Father. Very interesting. You know, they didn't share the same space. When Jesus would ascend back into heaven, then the Holy Spirit would be sent. And Jesus says, it's good that I go. If I don't go, I cannot give you the helper. The mysterious plan that God had. But Jesus would, in fact, ascend back into heaven and the Holy Spirit, the advocate who comforts, encourages, and counsels. The Bible also says that he convicts the world of sin. Holy Spirit is a convicting helper. He will tell you, shouldn't be doing that. Nope, don't go down that road. Don't go on that website. Don't go hang out with that crowd. Don't go see that movie. Don't go to that party. That's the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict you of what you need to do that you know is right. He will help you and encourage you through that. The Holy Spirit is wanting to help us in every area of life. And sometimes when you feel in that pit of your stomach, like, I know I shouldn't be doing that. That's not Taco Bell from the other day. That's the Holy Spirit that might be rustling and saying, oh, this is just, no, I I know I shouldn't do this. The Holy Spirit wants to help us. So we see here in the Holy Spirit and found in the Gospels, we see these different aspects. He was that Jesus' birth. And we know that famous passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The angel would appear to Mary and Joseph in a dream and say that the Holy Spirit has conceived in Mary's womb, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the Holy Spirit was present in the birth of Jesus, the conception of Jesus. We also know that the Holy Spirit was active in John the Baptist's birth, because in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 15, it says that the Holy Spirit, from the angel that told Zechariah, the angel told Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he will have the Holy Spirit before he's even born. Isn't that interesting? Go back and read that, Luke 1.15, that even at birth, he will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's got to be a super baby Christian. (laughs) That's amazing. He's not cussing. He's not throwing a tantrum. I mean, babies don't cuss. I hope not. But he's not throwing throwing a tantrum. He's not having any poopy diapers. He's just like just an awesome, clean, pure baby. I jest. I'm just joking. Anyway. Luke 1.15, though, it just, it's, a, it's a crazy verse when you read that, that he was empowered at birth. And boy, did he use the Holy Spirit in a mighty way. John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters as well in the Bible. Such an underrated character. The Holy Spirit used him for a purpose, 
and a time and a season. We see also in Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit would descend like a dove when Jesus would come out, out of the water. And you actually see the Trinity right there in, in Matthew chapter 3.16, where you see God the Father saying, this is my son. You see Jesus coming up out of the water. You see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Did everybody see the dove coming? I don't know. Was it only Jesus and John the Baptist that could see the dove? Who knows? I mean, I would be awesome if like dove chocolate just started falling everywhere. There you go. But this is Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit present. You have the Holy Spirit present at Jesus' resurrection. Now, this is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, where it says that Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power raised Jesus from the dead. That's the same Holy Spirit that is living inside you and me. We don't really think about that too often. But the Holy Spirit was active at the resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus would ascend back into heaven after his resurrection, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active in baptism and when we go out and present the gospel to the world. The Great Commission. Second, we see the Holy Spirit active within the church. And you see the Holy Spirit mentioned very, very often in the book of Acts. Because he's very active in this book. We see that he's active at Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then on to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit would descend on the believers like tongues of fire, Luke would tell us. And that people started speaking different languages and tongues. And the crowd didn't understand and then Peter had to give a great sermon saying, hey, we're, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said would happen. And he's come. The Holy Spirit is here and you can know him. It says that 3,000 people got saved and then more people would get saved after that. We see that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4. Peter for the first time filled with the Holy Spirit in a powerful way to preach the gospel and to be freed from prison. I mean, Peter was back and forth in prison. The Holy Spirit was using him in a mighty way. When you study the characters of the disciples, especially Peter, going from a fisherman who just didn't know what to say, didn't know how to act around Jesus, would rebuke Jesus, to then Peter preaching the gospel and thousands are getting saved. And he, he, this was a fisherman. He, he, had no, he had no degree. He had no education. In fact, in Acts, it says that the Sanhedrin noticed that Peter, James, and John were just ordinary men. They had no schooling, but yet they had been with Jesus. They could tell something was different about them. They didn't have an education. Peter was a fisherman by trade, and he understands who Jesus is, who Jesus radically changed his life. Just, just imagine if you had the privilege, I've always thought this, the privilege to just live and walk with Jesus for three years. And how would that change us? How would we start thinking? How do we want to act after that? No doubt they, they, they wept when he, when he let, went into heaven because that's, in a way, that's their friend. Jesus says, I call you friends, but I'm going away to the Father and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Later, we actually, we would see after, after Peter, we'd see Stephen. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, gave this great sermon 
and then rebukes the Pharisees. Said, you guys are stiff-necked. You're not accepting the Holy Spirit. And they hated that, so they started to stone him. And as they stone him, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Isn't that interesting that as he's dying, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the clouds are opened, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, welcoming Stephen into heaven. But even at that moment of Stephen's death, the Holy Spirit is upon him. He's with him. Great passage in Acts chapter 7 with this man, Stephen. And then later you see Paul. I think Paul was influenced by the stoning of Stephen. Because Paul, he was, he was earlier called Saul, but he was at Stephen's death, given approval for it. And I believe that caught up to him. And in Acts chapter 9, you see that the Holy Spirit falls upon Paul. And we know all about Paul. He was used mightily for the Lord to write one-third of the New Testament. Holy Spirit used him in a mighty way. You see the Gentiles as a whole in Acts chapter 10, that famous story of Peter preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his family who are Gentiles. His family, though, his whole household gets saved. His wife and his kids, they get saved. And it says, as Peter's speaking and preaching the gospel, Holy Spirit already falls upon them. And they could all sense it in the room that the Holy Spirit is here and he is, he is here for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews. He is here for all. And then Peter would baptize them. And he said, I realize now that God does not show favoritism, that the Holy Spirit is given to all. Such an eye-opening experience for Peter. But an awesome reminder that the Spirit is for all of us. And God was going to break some walls down of prejudice. Say, this, my Spirit is for all. And last but not least, in the church, we see that famous person, Barnabas, that would go on some missionary journeys with Paul in Acts chapter 11. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was an encourager. That's Barnabas. And last but not least, we will see here as we close that the Holy Spirit is clearly active in the epistles that Paul would write and in the end times in Revelation. And I'm going to kind of park it here for now because we're going to look at some of these, these passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 12 and also Galatians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can turn there if you want, but it's a famous passage that Paul would write about at the end of chapter 6 in verse 19, talking about how our bodies, our physical bodies, are a temple of God's Holy Spirit. Now, I preach this a lot in youth group. It's a great passage to teach to teens. You are not your own Okay? It's not all about you. You may think it is, but you're not so cool. Okay? You're just not. I had to learn that as well. Because when I'm 15 or 16, I'm thinking, everybody thinks I'm so cool. I look back, I'm like, I was a dork. And now I think everyone thinks I'm cool. But no, no, I'm just kidding. It's a great passage, nonetheless, for everyone, too. Just to be reminded that Paul is saying, you are, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. That price was Jesus' blood. So honor God with your body. When you and I accept Jesus into our hearts, and He is our Lord and Savior of our life, and we trust in Him now, we have that hope of heaven. But Paul says, okay, we have that hope, but you have to live a life now that is honoring God. And not just honoring God with your lips, but with your body. He, he's talking about sexual morality in this passage. That's the context. And he's saying, look, church, you are to honor God because your body is now a temple. The temple had been destroyed, the real temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD. So later down the road, they would have no temple. 
But Paul is saying, you are that temple. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit cannot be inside of you along with other sexual sin or other sins that are conflicting you. Your body is to honor the Lord in purity. And it's a good reminder that we are not our own. I mean, I, I read that verse and it just convicts me all the time. I am not my own person. I don't own myself. God does. Paul would always write in his epistles, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. You know what a bondservant is? It means you, you, you're, you're a slave to that, that person. You're, you're, but you're willing to do that. I'm willing to serve and be a slave to Jesus. So when I do that and when I say that, then I have to honor God in all that I say and all that I do. Especially when it comes to sexual sin. Paul is making it clear. It's not about you. It's not about me. You're, you were bought with Jesus' blood. That's a huge price that you cannot repay. So honor God. That's all he's asking. Just honor God with, your, with our bodies. Because the Holy Spirit resides in us now. Also we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12... We see that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are going to be some churches and some denominations that don't believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are here for today. I, in fact, do believe that they are here for today. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the giver of these gifts and that he will choose to give those of whom he wants to give these gifts and that we are to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what gifts do you want me to have to serve for your kingdom? Chapter 12, verse 4, it says here, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. And then in later, in verse 11 of chapter 12, Paul would say, It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, you can go back into later teachings that Pastor Gary has done on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to do that, because we're not going to spend so much time on that. But I do believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not just talking about the gifts of tongues, because again, there's some denominations and some church backgrounds that say, you aren't saved if you don't have the gift of tongues. I just think that's baloney. Really? Every Christian has to have the gift of tongues. No, not necessarily. It says that the the Spirit gives whom He wants to give a gift. So there's not just the gift of tongues. You have the gift of discernment, you have the gift of helps, the gift of serving, the gift of administration. It's all found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. But the greatest gift that Paul would say is, none of these really matter if you don't have the gift of love. Love is the foundation of that. Love is an action. It's a verb. DC talk days, all right? Going back way back in the 90s. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all about love. And, and Paul says, if I had the gift of tongues but not love, it's pointless. I'm useless. So the, the Holy Spirit giving, the, giving us gifts is, is a privilege. And we're to seek the Lord and ask, what gifts do you want me to have? What gifts do I have? Maybe you have the gift of serving. You just serve. Peter says, whatever gift you have, just, just do that. If you have the gift of leadership, lead. People will follow you. If you have the gift of helps, then help one out. Hospitality. But again, none of that means anything if you don't have love. And last but not least that we see in the epistles is we see Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 as we come to a close. This is the famous passage of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul would write, I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the sinful desires of our flesh. And here are the fruit of the Spirit. Paul would say it's love, joy, peace, patience, 
Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He starts with love. He ends with self-control. Everything in the middle, we, just, we have to work on. But those are the top two, I think, that we always are struggling with. Loving and self-control. There's patience in there, every, in there and I hate that word, but that's one where we, got to, we have to work on. It's patience. But the fruit of the Spirit needs to be evident in our life. And Jesus would tell the disciples, you will know them, believers, by their fruit. You will know them. Do you show fruit of the Spirit to others that are around you? Last but not least, in Revelation chapter 22, as we come to a close, the Holy Spirit starts in Genesis 1-2, and it ends in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the entire Bible. He's here in the New Jerusalem, and it says here, the Spirit and the Bride... That's the church of Christ. That's us. Say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. But the Spirit is there at the end of the entire Bible saying, come. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. He's there at the beginning. The Holy Spirit is there at the very end. Before we do close, so I lied, we're not done yet. I'm just going to skim through these verses that I've picked out that I I think are some of the most famous passages and verses on the Holy Spirit, and they're some of my favorite ones too, so here you go for no extra charge. I want to remind us of these famous verses about the Spirit of God. Number one, we started off with this, Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, where can I flee from your presence? Next one is Psalm 143, verse 10, it says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God, may your gracious Spirit lead me Forward on a firm footing. I love that. How God's spirit is gracious to us. Next one is Zechariah 4.6. A lot of you know this. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Are you living in your own power? Are you working in your own strength? You need to surrender that and just give it to the Lord and let his spirit work in your life. Even as Christians, we can try to work hard in our own strength. And sometimes we burn out. And that's why God says it's not by spirit, or it's not by power, it's by my spirit. Also in Romans 15, verse 13, Paul would write this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just a reminder that God is the source of hope. If you don't have God, you don't have any hope. But God is the source of hope. He wants to give you joy and peace so that you can overflow with that hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Also in Galatians 5.16, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There's going to be that battle that your flesh and the Spirit are going to have forever until you meet the Lord. But the Bible's making it clear, we are to live by His Spirit And not give in to the cravings of our sinful desires. And last but not least, in Jude chapter 1 verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So those last three New Testament passages in Romans, Galatians, and Jude. A reminder that we have the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us hope. We are to live by the Holy Spirit in all that we say and do. And that we are to pray without ceasing in the Holy Spirit. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. God is with you and I. David was right. We cannot flee from the spirit of God.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close? It's always good to just be reminded. For some of you, this is elementary. You've heard this for so many years. For some of you, maybe this is brand new, the topic of the Holy Spirit. But overall, for all of us, it's good to be reminded of these things. Whether you've been a believer for a year, you've been a believer for 50 years. It's always good to look back in God's word and say, God, teach me. I want to be teachable. I want to be humble. I don't, I don't want to be puffed up. I don't want to be proud. So God, by your Holy Spirit, would you just minister in my heart? Let's do that as we pray. So Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, who is here tonight. God, I pray that the role of the Holy Spirit, who he is, would do just that. He would convict hearts. He would encourage those that are discouraged. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort those that are sad. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come alongside someone that needs, that needs help, that needs a friend. Someone that would be our advocate to the Father. This is your Spirit, Lord, who is there at creation and will be there in the end. God, we thank you for your Spirit. That verse of Zechariah 4.6 sticks out to me. It is not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. God, you are good. May we never do anything on our own power and strength. And if we find ourselves doing that, would you just break us? Some of us need just a broken heart. We just need to be broken. And God, I'm reminded in Psalm 51, David would write that famous passage after his affair with Bathsheba. He would say, God, a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. It's not about offerings. It's not about sacrifices. It's not about how we are supposed to live for you. It's first and foremost, are we broken? Is our pride broken? Because you will not despise that. And then God, just fill us up with your Holy Spirit. For believers in the room, empower them, Lord. Pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them and would indwell inside of them. Convict them of sin. And Lord, your, your, your word tells us that for those that don't know you, the Holy Spirit is constantly pursuing them. Pursuing them. Because the Holy Spirit wants to take them and and clothe them, Lord, with righteousness. You are never done pursuing us. Lord, I thank you for your love. Thank you for this church, this body, that we can come together and just hear your word, just fall at your feet, get out of the old routine of life, and just, just be still. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your hope. We thank you for your spirit, Lord. Use us mightily for the rest of this week until we meet again. We love you, we praise you, and all God's people said, Amen.